Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Murder by Appointment Only, Season 2, Episode 12, first aired January 5th, 1986, and the IMDb summary reads, A former student of Jessica's becomes involved in a love triangle that ends in murder. Okay. This, eh, it's a good one. Yeah, good enough, I guess. (laughs) First, let's start with the returners. So we have Christine Belford, and we will remember her as Erica Baldwin from We're Off to Kill the Wizard. In this episode, she plays Fiona Keeler. We also have Herb Edelman, and we first saw him as George, the bus driver, in The Murder of Sherlock Holmes. So this <laughs> here is the first of his several appearances as Lieutenant Varick. So this is kind of his and Jessica's origin story. <laughs> we will see him numerous times as this character and other law enforcement, but his his interactions with Jessica become much more friendly as we see him in additional episodes. So he's a bit standoffish here, serious, but the more comedic side of him and the more collegial relationship uh, develops as he continues to make appearances on the show. So let's get into the characters and then into the episode. So we have Lila Lee Amberson, Norman Amberson, who is Lila's brother, Roger Adiano, Elizabeth Gordon, she is Jessica's former student, as well as Norman's girlfriend. We have Grady Fletcher, of course, Jessica's nephew. We have Todd Amberson, who is Norman's son and a college friend of Grady's. We have Glenda Vanderveer, who is the secretary to or personal assistant of Norman. And that's all of the characters. (laughs) So let's get into the episode. We start in an auditorium. We find out it's in a hotel as they're preparing for a convention. It's a photo shoot for apparently lipstick. (laughs) And suddenly Lila Lee comes storming in and she is like, get rid of these plants. This is not a jungle and she is just going off on the photographer and suddenly (laughs) the door opens and some women dressed in uniform so in these gray suits with a purple ruffled shirt under it come in and Lila goes from I'm sorry Lila Lee goes from tyrant to the perfect hostess because she's like, ladies, and she goes over to them. Her whole face and attitude changes when she sees them. Now, Norm has to, well, Norman has to come in and defuse the situation. Like, that is his job. He is the president of Lila Lee Cosmetics. 
and he is better known as the peacemaker because Lila is a handful and a half. So he is the calm that brings the storm in, okay? (laughs) He's the one who puts the bandages on the people that Lila has cut deep, okay? So as this is happening and Lila is greeting her Lila Lee ladies, right? Jessica arrives at the hotel and she's trying to find Grady. She's mistaken for a saleswoman. And as soon as Lila speaks with her and of course doesn't hear anything that she says, she then returns to berating the photographer. Like that model looks like Bozo the Clown. You've put the wrong color on the model and it looks like you smeared it on with a trowel. And she is just going to town, like in front of people. And of course, Norman has to come in and calm down the situation. Jessica then comes in to, she may have been watching this happen, but the camera then turns to Jessica who taps um, Glenda. We find out her name is Glenda. She is Norman's assistant. And she's asking for Grady Fletcher, Glenda says, I've never heard of him. And Jessica's like, well, he works for Lila League Company. And Glenda's like, oh, like, good luck to him. (laughs) So then we see Lila and Norman. And Lila's like getting ready to go up to her room to rest, I guess. And she's like, Norman, if there's a crisis, don't try to handle it. Call me. Honestly, She's terrible. Let's just get that out the way. And when she sees Glenda, she says, oh, that's a lovely outfit. Not for you, but it's lovely. What? Okay. Okay. Let's, let's be honest. Lila Lee looks a mess and she has the nerve to talk about Glenda. Now, Glenda's outfit was on the frumpy side. I will say I could understand that she could get away with a much more fitted suit, even in the 80s when large uh, oversized women's suits were in. I could understand that. But coming from Lila Lee, like the backhanded compliment, like you put that outfit together well, it's just not a good look for you. And Even if that was true, it comes off as offensive because it was meant to be offensive. So there's that. Now, I'm not on Glenda's side. Like, no, don't don't get that wrong because Glenda is actually also a terrible person and we'll get to that soon. So Glenda has paperwork for Norman to sign. He's like, a good secretary knows how to forge her boss's signature and Glenda's like, well, I'm saving that for something big. So he he signs it and, you know, sends her on her way. Now, it's probably because she wanted to bring something to his attention, but it didn't happen in this instance. Because I'm like, okay, you know that there's this convention about to happen. You also know how terrible of a person Lila Lee is. You also know how much she actually depends on Norman to make things happen and run things because she is in 
She is completely unable to do that, Lila Lee. She's not. She's not able to do this <laughs> because she's a terrible person. So you are adding additional stress to Norman for what? You need him to sign these papers. You've been his secretary for years, a personal assistant for years, right? You probably know how to forge his signature. Just sign it and tell him what you did. Like, this is what I mean. Like, she is a terrible personal assistant, actually, because you know this is the most stressful time of the year for Norman because it's face-to-face putting out fires that Lila Lee is starting every second of every day. And you come to him to sign these papers, which you could probably have permission to sign in the first place. Come on now. Anyway. So then we see Jessica and Grady, and he is coming over with Todd, who is a college buddy of his. Now, Grady explains that he does not have the job yet, and Todd's like, yeah, you know, we spoke, and I spoke with my dad, and you know, there's always room for a sales manager. And Grady's like, uh, I'm an accountant. (laughs) So Norman comes over and meets them, and... He says, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember, you know, my son told me about you. And yeah, I'm sure we have a spot for you in the shipping department. To which Grady's like, I'm an accountant. Again, nobody's listening to Grady at all. Nobody. And except for Jessica. She's the only one who actually listens to what Grady says. So Norman's like, okay, that's cute. Um, Have my secretary make an appointment to meet with you tomorrow. And... So that ends that interaction because Norman says, I don't really get a chance to talk to my son. So I'm just going to, you know, pull him out of this conversation so we can have a one-on-one. So they go to Norman's hotel room and he, Norman starts to mention Liz, his current girlfriend. And he says, you know, every time I mention her name, you turn away. And Todd's like, sorry, it's a reflex. And Todd's like, I don't have anything against Liz per se. I just think that you should be with somebody your own age. I want you to be happy, but this is giving... He didn't say this, but this is what I'm saying. This is my interpretation. She's a gold digger and I don't want her to steal all of your money. Not that I'm not going to be okay because I'm sure I'm fine financially, but I don't want her to swindle you and leave you destitute and brokenhearted. That's his concern. Now, is he more concerned about an inheritance? Possibly, but does he have a valid reason to be suspicious of Liz? Of course. There is a significant age difference. Norman is older than Jessica, I'm sure, right? And Jessica was Liz's high school teacher, high school English teacher specifically. So Jessica is obviously older than Liz. So that means Norman is extra older than Liz. Because Liz is probably the same age as Todd or close to it. So Norman is old enough to be her entire father, possibly her grandfather. I don't really know. So I can understand Todd's concern. Now, Liz comes in because 
Todd is like, I I really don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm done with this. Norman's like, you know, if you walk out that door, you're out of my life forever. Liz pops out. She was like, I hate hearing you guys fight. I tried to stay out of the way so that you could have a conversation. And Todd's like, oh, so you could eavesdrop? Like, no, I was hoping that you guys could repair your relationship, what's been broken. So... At this point, Norman is like, he loves Liz and that if she'll have him, he would love for her to be his wife, right? So Todd is just over this and there is just no working this out and he leaves. And Liz is like, you know what? This is never going to work. And Norman is like, listen, whatever it takes, we're going to make it work. They then start talking about... um. Norm says, or Norman, sorry, I'm going to go back and forth, my bad. But (laughs) he says, oh, you know, I didn't even think to invite this famous writer that I met downstairs to dinner. Um, I've seen you read her stuff, Jessica Fletcher. And the look on Liz's face is dread. That's like the perfect description of it. And she's like, no, 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 it, it's fine. Don't don't page her to see if she's still here to invite her to dinner. Uh, I'm not feeling well. And um, no, I don't need to go to the doctor. Uh, it, it's fine. I'm not well, but not so messed up or so sick that I need to go to the doctor. Um, plus, I'm running late for a fitting. And she hustles out of there. Now, we see outside the hotel someone driving a taxi stop, hop out, go into the hotel. He's looking around and he goes into the auditorium where the Lila Lee convention is being held, doesn't see whoever he's looking for, goes out into the lobby. We see Liz coming downstairs. We've already seen Jessica. She's looking at a newspaper or a magazine or something. And she looks up. This is Jessica. She looks up, she sees Liz and she's like, Elizabeth? And um, Elizabeth stops, or Liz, we'll call her Liz from here on out, stops and looks up. But the gentleman, who we find out his name is Roger, he stops as well. So it's kind of like a standoff because Jessica's looking at Liz, but then she's looking over at Roger. Roger is looking at Liz and at Jessica. Liz is looking at... Roger with this look of like, get out of here. (laughs) And so he just leaves. He leaves and Jessica and Liz walk up to each other. Liz then says, Mrs. Fletcher, I, I can't believe you recognize me or even remember my name. And Jessica's like, I even remember where you sat. You sat behind the tall girl who couldn't spell... And Liz was like, oh, and she gave the name. I think her name was Andrea Kelly. She's like, yeah, she still can't. You know, we write letters back and forth. We've been in touch since then. And so Liz is like, oh, what are you doing in New York? And Jessica's like, oh, I'm seeing my publisher, lunching with my agent, shopping. But that that's not important. What about you? Are you married? Do you have a career? Are you still writing? I'm like, wait a second, Jessica, that is extremely personal. (laughs) And you're just like, 
she was a student of yours, okay? Not a sorority sister, not a fellow teacher, not uh, a lodge brother of Frank. So you're coming in real hot, okay, in this hotel lobby. (laughs) Anyway, so Liz is like, no, no, and no. And Jessica's like, oh my goodness, I hate to hear that you haven't continued to write. You were the most talented student in my class. And Liz is like, oh, I wish you would have told me that. You know, I really kind of gave up and, you know, just kind of am trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. So then Norman comes out and he's like, how did you guys like end up speaking to each other? Like, how did this happen? And Liz was like, oh my goodness, like you didn't tell, when you said Jessica Fletcher, I didn't know that it was my high school, my senior year English teacher, Jessica Fletcher. Honestly, you knew who it was and you did not want to interact with her because of what has happened in the interim between high school, college, and then now you're... uh, engaged to there's not a ring but kind of like a promise for a promise um to get engaged (laughs) to this much older man right so and you're not writing or anything like that so and you don't have a career so I can understand that someone from your past having some questions or trying to catch up may be very difficult. So I honestly and truly, she did not want to bump into Jessica, but she had to play it off when she did sit, finally bump into Jessica. She couldn't be rude. She couldn't act like she didn't know who she was. She had to, you know, tap dance around what actually has happened in her life. And we'll find out why soon. So... We find out from Norman that when his wife died, he didn't think that he would ever find love again, but then he met Liz and she just changed his life. So he invites Jessica to dinner. She's like, I already checked out of my hotel and I wasn't planning to stay overnight. And so Norman insists. So... Jessica agrees. She says, well, I can stay with Grady. You know, we don't really get a lot of time to spend together. So I can probably stay with him. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll go to dinner with you guys. So their plan is set. Before Jessica leaves, now Liz walks away and Glenda comes up and she says, I need your approval for this these charges and she points out a bill from Vinton's for $550 saying that Liz signed for it. And Norman's like, oh, it must be her birthday gift to me. She loves when I um, buy things for myself or spoil myself, however he put it, right? And Glenda's like, but I thought your birthday and Norman says, don't question it pay it. Now, Glenda, this is why I'm saying she is terrible personal assistant. She clearly wants to actually be the wife, okay? Almost exactly like Amelia 
and her feelings for Dr. Edmund Gerard in Lovers and Other Killers, where she was the secretary and she wanted to be the wife after the original wife died. So, but a bit of a spoiler for this one, Glenda is not the murderer. So there's that. But Glenda is, oh, well, you know what? Equally as terrible. No, Amelia is worse because she actually murdered the other woman. So yeah. Okay. So Amelia is worse, but a close second is Glenda because you exposed this bill in front of a stranger. Okay. Jessica is standing right there. Okay. You are so focused on trying to expose Liz so that you can come in and replace her that you're going to embarrass. Okay. Embarrass Norman. Okay. That is, you're trash. You're actually trash because you're trying to break up this relationship. It does not matter how you feel about it, but you're trying to break up this relationship and you're willing to embarrass him in front of a stranger, okay? And point this out and try to throw Liz under the bus. If you were going to do this, you should have done it in private, for one. Two, you shouldn't have done this because that's a trash move. I understand your feelings, but it's not coming from a clear heart where it's, I don't want you to be taken advantage of. It's, I want to be in that place so I have access to you and your money, okay? You're the gold digger, okay? You're trying to parlay a better position in this situation and you're willing to throw this throw Liz under the bus. If he wanted you, he would have been with you. Okay. His wife died. And if he was that vulnerable and you were there for him and he wanted to get with you, he would have done that, but he did not. And there was, we find out that there was nothing that Liz actively did to get him. Okay. We find out that they met at a charity function where Liz was selling balloons, okay? She was not actively pursuing Norman. He saw her and fell in lust, let's be honest, but then it developed into love, right? We're going to just assume. If he wanted you and you've been there for all these years, right by his side, taking care of him, doing all of this stuff, just like if Dr. Gerard wanted Amelia, he would have gotten with her. If Norman wanted Glenda, he would have gotten with her. He ain't want you. He didn't want you, okay? And not only that, not only that, we're actually, I don't want to spoil, spoil. So we'll come back to this issue and how extra trashy this move was and the consequences that came from Glenda's actions at the end. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to make you wait till the end. Anyway, so the next scene, we are at the restaurant with Norman and Jessica and Liz is not there. Jessica's like, Liz is not known to be tardy, so I'm concerned. 
Norman is also concerned and says, well, she lives right around the corner. That's why I chose this restaurant. So how about we just swing around there to to check on her? Do you mind? And Jessica's like, no, she could be ill. So yes, let's go check. They go. And of course, Norman has a key to her apartment and they walk in. It is gigantic. Okay. It is money, 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 money. Okay. (laughs) The apartment is ransacked. They find Liz in the bedroom, apparently strangled to death. And there is a portrait of her that is marked up with lipstick. The police are now here and we meet Lieutenant Varick. And he determines this was clearly a robbery. And Jessica's like, yeah, no, I think this is a murder made to look like a robbery. They left behind this bejeweled lipstick lipstick holder. And Lieutenant Varick is like, well, it could be fake. And Norman is sitting on the couch, just despondent, like, no, it's real. I purchased it for her. But like, honestly, Jessica, a regular thief is not going to get this bejeweled lipstick case, which is very identifiable. You know what I mean? I think there was another episode. I don't remember if we've already discussed it or if it's later on where she's talking about why didn't the thief steal these priceless paintings and I'm like who is fencing paintings like who is doing that if I'm breaking into a house (laughs) I'm not robbing a museum knowing that I'm gonna get these priceless artifacts and that I have to sell it on the black market so I have to find a fence who deals with the black market but if I'm just looking for jewelry and stuff like that I'm not trying to steal something as distinctive as a bejeweled lipstick case I don't even know what that is or lipstick holder better yet. I don't know what that is and I don't know if I'll get any money for it. So, you know, and where was it even that I'm, if it wasn't in the jewelry box or next to it, I don't think a thief would really be concerned about it. But now she had on a Rolex, uh, yeah, like they didn't steal that. It doesn't appear that they stole any jewelry that we know of. So the lipstick that was in the lipstick, the bejeweled holder, um, is the wrong shade. And Norman is like, she's right. That's midnight pink. The lipstick on the portrait is more orange. And so Lieutenant Varick is like, we're going to send it to the lab and they'll figure out um, what color it is and probably even the company that manufactures it. So the next scene, we're at Grady's apartment. He's on the phone with Todd. And he's like, you know what? Never mind about the job. It's fine. Blah, blah, blah. He's pretending to have a maid, Frida. And I'm like, why why are you doing that? Like, why are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense. And I'm not going to try to figure out what the purpose of this was. But Grady is really not bright, 90% of the time because what why are you doing this you clearly need a job okay now I can understand you calling and saying oh my goodness I understand your father's going through a lot so I'm not going to follow up with that meeting you know because I want to give your dad time to 
you know, get himself together, whatever, whatever. And let Todd say whatever he's going to say. But you're like, oh, never mind about the job. It's fine. You need the job. Oh, anyway. Jessica comes out and she's like, oh, I hope I'm not in the way. And he's like, no, it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. She's going to sleep on the soft couch and he is going to sleep on the lumpy bed. He doesn't have any hot water. So he gives her tea, but it's lukewarm. And she's like, oh, I'm sure it'll be delicious. And she's like, ah, thank you. Because <laughs> it's gross. That's why. <laughs> but she's too polite to say that. And she does not want to hurt Grady's feelings. So she's taking one for the team. They start to discuss what happened. And Jessica says, you know what? There were no signs of a break-in. And it's strange because when I spoke with Liz, she seemed to be very secretive about herself. Granted, however, Jessica, you were asking very personal questions after you hadn't seen this woman in like 25 years. And two, you were in the lobby of a hotel. So not a lot of privacy. So... Under those circumstances, it's not suspicious, but for the purpose of this plot, yes, it was suspicious. So the next scene, we are on the stage in the auditorium at the hotel, and Lila and her ladies are preparing for the ceremony. Norman is actually still working because he feels that it will help his mind to stay busy so he won't dwell on the death of Liz. Todd comes in, he apologizes. He's like, I'm surprised that you're working. And this is when Norman explains that I think I I just have to stay active and keep my mind on other things because sitting around, I'll just be focused on her, the loss of her and her death. So this is better for me. So Norman goes on and Glenda comes up And she says, Todd, why would you come here? I'm like, yo, yo, Glenda, Glenda, you, you are the person who in front of a stranger pointed out this suspicious $550 receipt to Vinton's to play your position and you're talking about Todd, his actual son, his actual son who he wants to repair his relationship with coming and making contact to make sure that his father is okay. Something that he has as a child, a duty to do. And he is trying to apologize for his behavior. And you who have not apologized for your behavior have the nerve to try to make Todd feel bad? Are you kidding me? You're disgusting. We're moving on. So (laughs) she is like, how dare you? How actually dare you? Now, (laughs) Glenda walks away and Todd is feeling the full weight of what she said, right? Because he feels bad that he was trying to break up the relationship. He wasn't actively trying to break up Norman and Liz's relationship, but he was kind of being a brat, partially for good reasons, partially selfish, mostly selfish. 
but he wasn't actively trying to break them up. Like Glenda was actively trying to break them up, but he's still upset that the way he left it with his father before Liz was murdered was not on good terms. Like he stormed out of the hotel room, but your father's still alive. So you can still make it right. So, but he's still upset. He's still upset. Uh, about the way he acted. Jessica comes up to him and Todd is like, listen, I didn't dislike Liz because Jessica's like, oh, I don't know anyone who could have disliked Liz. She was a very nice person, whatever, whatever. And Todd is like, listen, I did not dislike her, okay? I just objected to my father getting into a relationship with her so soon after his mother had died. So Norman's wife, Todd's mother, had died. And he's like, I don't even know if it was after that they got together because Liz was living in this huge Park Avenue apartment before his mother died while his mother was sick. So clearly his father was paying for this apartment in New York City for Liz before his mother slash before Norman's wife died from cancer. I'm assuming it's cancer because they said a terminal illness. So I'm guessing that's what it was. So I could understand under those circumstances why Todd felt the way he felt. He then is like, listen, when she was murdered, I was across town playing racquetball. Um... And Jessica's like, thank you, but I didn't ask for uh, alibi. Jessica, come on now. I understand you think that he might have been the one who murdered her, but I don't know. I don't like how you played this. I'm just saying. Now, spoiler, Todd did not murder Liz. So this really was misplaced, but I guess Jessica didn't know at the time. It seemed feasible, So, yeah, but I felt like this was kind of like a kick while Todd was down because the father is like, forget about it. It's fine. It's fine. We're good. But it didn't feel like that to him. So he's still in limbo. Then Glenda comes right behind that and kicks him in the back of the kneecap with the what are you doing here upsetting him. And then Jessica comes in with the, I didn't ask for your alibi, but thank you. So clearly you feel guilty and maybe you're the one who murdered her. So he is already down and injured, down for the count. And this didn't help Jessica. I'm sorry, this this wasn't a good move. Anyway, so the next scene, we are with Lieutenant Varick who says that they're still working on IDing the lipstick. And Jessica's like, how much do you think that apartment that Liz had was worth? Uh, Or cost, I'm sorry, cost. And he said, oh, maybe $5,000, $6,000 a month. Now that is in 1986. 1985, 1986, okay? $5,000 a month in New York City In that area, yes, but it's still shocking. (laughs) And Jessica's like, oh my God, you could buy all of Cabot Cove for that. And that's true. (laughs) 
Oh my God. I bet you her mortgage was like $800. Like honestly and truly. Well, actually her house is probably paid off. Jessica's house is probably paid off. Like, let's be absolutely honest. So the next scene, Jessica calls Grady and she asks him to reach out to Andrea Kelly, who's married and living in Augusta to find out some information about Liz Gordon because they're still friendly, right? So we don't know what information she asked Grady to get because they did not include that audio. (laughs) But he writes it down and he is on the job and he actually is able to probably based on Jessica's advice to contact the Alumni Association for the high school to get Andrea's married name so that he can then call 411, I guess, and ask for an Andrea, whatever her last name is, in Augusta, Maine, I'm guessing. (laughs) I'm guessing they mean Augusta, Maine or Augusta, Georgia, I'm guessing Maine. Anyway, so the next scene, Lila Lee is trying to give a uh, package, (laughs) give a sales kit. That's it. A sales kit to Jessica and says, you know what? You can be the exclusive Lila Lee lady of Cabbage Cove. And Jessica's like, Cabot Cove? No, thank you. And... Lila Lee is like, well, the all sales start when the person says no. And Jessica's like, oh my God, I'll think about it. Okay, goodbye. Um, Also, my condolences on your loss. And Lila Lee is like, what? We cleared over $11 million last year. What loss? And Jessica's like, well, of Liz Gordon, she was going to be your sister-in-law. And Lila Lee says, oh, you've been misinformed. Norman would never marry her. And <laughs> Lila Lee is like, she is a gold digger. And Jessica's like, Why, what makes you think that? Well, Lila Lee says, I offered her $50,000 to leave Norman alone. And she said, no. And Jessica was like, well, doesn't that prove that she was not a gold digger? To which Lila Lee said, no, it means that she's smart. Why settle for $50,000 when you could get access to millions by marrying him? I'm like, oh, checkmate, checkmate. Okay. (laughs) So we then have, Grady then gets in touch with Jessica and he must have informed her about Liz's job. So... The next thing we know, Jessica is meeting with Fiona Keeler, who we will recognize as Erica Baldwin from We're Off to Kill the Wizard. So long story short, right? Liz was a prostitute, okay? (laughs) And apparently she was the best in the business. Now, the fact is... Norman was not cheating on his wife with Liz. Liz was doing so well as a sex worker that she was able to afford the apartment on Park Avenue on 
her own. She met Norman while she was working. So he was not, he did not meet her before the wife got sick. He did not meet her before the wife died. He legitimately met her after his wife died. She was making enough money as a sex worker to afford a $5,000 to $6,000 a month apartment in New York City. Okay, so Todd doesn't know this and he'll never know this, I'm sure. So it was, and Glenda did not know this, but wait a second. Now, Glenda should have known that Norman was not paying for that apartment. She's his personal assistant. But she she was really trying to get a place to be the wife so that she would have access to his money and to him. I don't know. Maybe she did like him. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she just wanted access to his money. Maybe she was the gold digger. I'm sure she was, to be absolutely honest. But no one knew that Liz was a self-made woman. So they were all hating on her from outside the club because none of them on their own could afford what she was able to afford without Norman. Now, that takes me back to this. She got out the game, right? Because she, a few months ago, a few months ago, Fiona tells us that she got out the game. She calls her up and was like, I'm not, I don't want to book any more dates or anything. I'm going to marry Norman. I'm going to be, you know, a wife and I want out of the game. My question is, you wouldn't have any savings, right? (laughs) Because why would you put that $550 charge from Vinton's on Norman's account? I'm sure you had to have money still. I am sure that even if it's a few months later, you had to have money left over because that that was your mistake. You were doing very well in this situation and you made a huge mistake because two things. One, you should have known that Glenda was trying to play for your position. And the fact that you did not know that is a problem. Homegirl, you should have known that. Okay, it was clear to anybody who could see it. Two... Why would you even, okay, you signed off on it because you have permission to sign off on it, but you know that she's trying to play for your position. Why would you give her anything? Why would you have any paper trail about you spending Norman's money on something, spoiler, that was not for Norman, okay? That was very stupid. For such a smart woman who was able to parlay, um, her situation into being able to afford a very high class lifestyle without the help of any other person. Well, technically it was with the help of men, the men who were paying for her services, but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So (laughs) for you to have navigated for all these years and been self-sufficient to have made this mistake and basically ruined your future for $550 
I'm sure Norman gave you cash. Like, why wouldn't you just use that cash? Why wouldn't you use money that you had on deck? I'm sure you have money under your mattress. Um, you know, you got to have a rainy day fund. Why didn't you use that? Why would you use Norman's account for something that wasn't for Norman or for you? Okay, Liz, this is, this is partially your fault. Well, actually, it's very much your fault as well. But yeah, that was stupid. Anyway, so <laughs> we also find out from Fiona that one of the reasons she was surprised that Liz was going to marry Norman is because she still had strong feelings for this actor slash cab driver that she had been with this entire time, right? So yeah, that's where Roger Adiano comes in. So the next scene, we're back at the hotel in the conference room and Lila Lee goes up to Glenda and she says, oh, you look unusually good. But you should know that Norman would never get involved with an employee. And that's the facts. <laughs> Lila is not lying. She's not lying because if Norman wanted to get with Glenda, he would have done so. He did not. He does not. And Glenda is really not catching on that she doesn't have a chance, okay? And yeah, we're like I said, we're going to get to that in a few minutes when we wrap this up about my issues with Glenda. And the fact is, Lila Lee is a terrible person. She really is, and she does not care about that um, because she's Lila Lee. So I understand... <laughs> Although she's speaking the truth, it's said by such a terrible person that it seems outrageous and disrespectful. It was meant to be disrespectful, but honestly, the type of person Glenda is, she deserved it. Just saying. Now, Grady observes all of this. And as soon as Lila Lee walks away, Grady comes up to Glenda and asks, about setting up that meeting. And she just turns and walks away. Grady has terrible timing. Like, I I am just annoyed by him in this situation. <laughs> he does have redeemable qualities, but honestly, terrible, terrible, terrible timing. So the next scene, we are in Norman's room. Jessica comes up and we find out that Norman knew that Liz was a sex worker from almost the beginning and that they've never lied to each other about, you know, their jobs and, and things like that. So Glenda comes in and she's like, Norman, you have an appointment at the spa. Get out of here. Go to it. Go to it. So he's like, all right, you see how she treats me. I'm going to go. So once Norman walks out the room, Jessica approaches Glenda and she is asking about the bill from Vinton's and um, that Norman seemed genuinely surprised. And so Glenda's like, yeah, because I'm like, his birthday is in two months. And so him thinking that it was a birthday gift was kind of like 
whatever he could think of quickly. But I'm like, okay, so if it was a birthday gift for him and she purchased it two months early, what does that mean? That means absolutely nothing. It's not for Norman, we find out. But in this set of circumstances, it's not suspicious, okay? Because Vinton's Vinton's is a men's clothing store. So if she purchased him a suit or a briefcase, um, maybe it was something that had to be monogrammed. So she purchased it two months before, so there will be time to get the monogram put on it. There are all types of explanations for why someone would purchase a a gift two months before their birthday. Now, if she said his birthday was six months ago, that's suspicious. Okay, that's suspicious. But two months from now, both Jessica and Glenda thought that was suspicious. And I'm like, that is not suspicious by any stretch of the imagination. Unless she had purchased flowers, because that wouldn't have made sense, or something perishable, that would not make sense. But a suit or an item from a men's clothing store that could have needed monograms on it was purchased two months earlier or she could have been walking by and saw something in the window and decided to purchase it at that point and hold off on delivery. This wasn't suspicious. Okay, we're moving on. So Jessica asks to borrow the slip and Glenda uh, agrees and does so. Grady then goes to Vinton's with the receipt and speaks with the clerk. The clerk is like, listen, it was delivered Tuesday. It was signed for. Grady is like, I never got it. Let me see the slip. That's clearly a forgery. And we see it was signed by Roger Adiano. And you can clearly see every letter of his name. And... So Grady's like, I this needs to be fixed. Like, what are you guys going to do? And they're like, well, okay, we can get you another one by whatever. And he's like, well, I need it for a meeting tomorrow morning. And the clerk is like, you need a tuxedo for breakfast? <laughs> and he says, yes, it's a meeting of the National Association of Head Waiters. Okay, that's why. Now, I will say, Grady, you did excellent. You did an excellent job in this interaction. I have zero complaints. Zero complaints. A hundred percent admiration. You did this correctly. You did your aunt very proud in this scenario. Now, next scene. Okay. So we're at the theater in uh, off, off, off Broadway and Jessica's talking to Roger and She's like, I recognize you. I saw you in the hotel lobby. You were there to meet with Liz. So we find out from Roger that Liz was seeing both Norman and him at the same time. When he, Roger, found out, he went wild. He smashed things. He threw stuff. Um, He has Latin blood from three different countries. So he was just incensed. But that was a different day. It was a different day. I didn't murder her. It was a different day. It was a different day. Clearly, he forgave her because he was there to meet with her. And he said after that, um, well, he also said that Norman knew that 
uh, Roger and Liz used to be an item. And Jessica's like, yeah, used to be. He didn't know it was fresh and still happening. But um, that on the day of her murder, that after that interaction in the lobby, that she did go to Roger's apartment, that they made love, they said their goodbyes, and that was the last time he saw her. Jessica was like, yeah, but Roger didn't know that y'all were still together and that you were purchased, that she was purchasing expensive gifts and having secret rendezvous with you. And no, he definitely didn't. The next scene, Jessica is in Grady's apartment and she's telling us that Lieutenant Varick has not found a match for the lipstick used on Liz's portrait. And that <laughs> we find out. <laughs> so Lila Lee has sent a suit. How did she know Jessica's size? That's my question. And a makeup case or a sales case. And they are looking through it. And Jessica figures out that there is one shade missing. And that is lipstick number 9854321. Okay. <laughs> So then Jessica puts on the suit that just happens to fit her perfectly. Now, I may say that Lila Lee is a terrible person, but the way she figured out Jessica's exact size, she's a magician, a real magician. (laughs) Anyway, so Jessica in this suit that has been put, given to her on loan from Lila Lee goes to the lab where they make the makeup and the different colors. So we find out from the lab technician that the color was discontinued. Um, It was Tangerine Glow, I think was the name of it. And this lab technician is the person who created the color and thought it was the perfect balance between pink and orange. But Lila Lee didn't like the way it looked on a white teacup. So that was her test of whether a color was approved or discontinued is how it looked on the rim of a white teacup. You know what? I'm not going to question her business acumen. (laughs) Well, yes, I'll question her business acumen, but I will not question her eye towards color because if they cleared over $11 million dollars, the year before, so in 1984, 1985, you know what? Maybe there's something to it. But we also learned from this lab technician that one slipped through. There was a photographer who was on site and he pocketed one tube of Tangerine Glow. And now everything's starting to click. It's not necessarily an epiphany because we saw in the opening when there was this whole issue about the wrong color and being spread on with a trowel by the photographer. (laughs) So not only is Jessica having a memory, not an epiphany, but a memory, so is the audience. So the next scene, we're at the ceremony and Jessica is talking to Norman in a back room because she's told him, I figured out who killed Liz. And Jessica lays it out that the lipstick was from a trial sample 
and there was only one tube in existence at the time that Liz was murdered. And that sample of lipstick was in Norman's pocket because Lila threw a fit about it being used because it was supposed to be discontinued. She took it from the photographer, handed it to Norman, who then dropped it in his pocket. Jessica further lays it out and says that the bill from Vinton's is what triggered him because Vinton's is a men's store. And she's guessing that the item that was purchased was for someone that Liz promised never to see again. So Norman then admits what happens. And according to him, the bill did trigger him. And he started to see Liz and her past all came flooding back to him because he had put those pictures and thoughts aside at the fact that she was a sex worker. Uh, He was able to look past that after whatever process he went through, but now it all flooded back because he knew that it was for another man. So she was being unfaithful. He went to her apartment to confront her. She was not there. He looked to see if there was anything he could find to confirm his suspicions at this point. And he found a playbill for a play that was off, off, off Broadway starring Roger Adiano. And that was the person who Liz was supposed to stay away from. And the fact that she purchased, not rented, but purchased a tuxedo for him for this play using Norman's money was just a slap in the face. And at that point, he hated her and wanted to destroy her. She then comes in while he's messing up the apartment and raging or whatnot. And he says he just wanted her out of his life to blot her face specifically out of his life. When she came in, he snapped and he attacked her. He then vandalized the apartment to make it look like it was a robbery and left from there. Now, um, Lieutenant Varick, I think it's him. We just hear a voice. We don't actually see the arrest originally. So he's placed under arrest. We go back to the stage. I'm not going to lie. Although Lila Lee wears way too much makeup, way too much makeup. (laughs) It's not even well done. Maybe it was well done for 1986, but looking at it now, uh, it's a bit much. But her outfit, that dress, 1986, she was ahead of her time. That I will say her outfit was very nice. It was very nice. And not for nothing, the Lila Lee suits was just as clearly a, a playoff of Mary Kay, right? Because they had the lilac car as well that the top sellers were going to get. But those suits, I'm not going to lie, that was cute. I would wear that. Maybe not necessarily those colors together, but the cut of the suit as well as the shirt, count me in. Just going to say that. So Lila is doing her thank yous. They've handed out the awards and she is spotlighting the president of the organization, which is Norman. 
and the spotlight goes over to the corner he had originally been standing in, nothing. And she's like, Norman, Norman, Norman. And then we see Norman being taken out by the police and Lieutenant Varick and Jessica not far behind, just with a look of sadness and disappointment. And that is how the episode ends. So I'm just going to briefly wrap up why Glenda is one of the most terrible people in this situation. Followed by Norman, okay? Because he murdered somebody. So he's not off the hook. He murdered somebody unjustly. So actually, I'm going to start with him. Now, I understand that you were triggered. But the fact is, if you did not think that you could handle the fact that in her past, recent past, let's be honest, she was a sex worker, then you should not have gone with her. Because clearly love wasn't enough in this situation. But to the point where you, as a full adult man, went and raged. Well, mind you, Roger did the same thing. When Roger found out that she was with Norman and thinking of marrying him, he raged and and threw stuff and all of that. I'm like, she is terrible at picking men, to be absolutely honest. But Norman, as a very, very wealthy, connected uh, man who has been cleaning up messes for his sister for probably decades, you fall in love with this woman, lust. It's not love at this point. It's lust with this woman. And you feel that in this less than a year or a little over a year that y'all have been together, that you are able to work through the fact that she is a sex worker and willing to set that aside and marry her, right? But as soon as you find out that she is seeing somebody else, not just anybody, not just some John, but is in a relationship with someone else, Yes, you have every right to be upset because she's been deceptive and she lied even after you had come to terms with the fact that she was a sex worker, which you clearly didn't come to terms with. But then you go and you destroy her property, right? Because he didn't pay for that. Her property in her apartment. And then you kill her, right? Instead of staying away from her, telling her, do not contact me, staying away, processing it, and just making a clean break. You know what I mean? Like, how difficult would that have been? You're not 17 and your brain's not fully developed and all of that. You are an overgrown man. You've had, you have an adult son. You've been married for years before your wife died. And your solution is to murder this woman who you said was the your, the love of your life. Well, this portion of your life. That's inexcusable. Now, Glenda, okay? I won't harp on this long. But the fact is, what she did to play her position to try to get Liz out and herself in resulted, directly resulted in Liz being murdered by Norman. Now, you maybe you didn't know that he was going to take it so far as to murder her, but you purposefully pointed out this receipt 
to Vinton's knowing, okay, knowing it was going to upset him, one. Two, not only did it result in him ending his relationship with Liz, but he ended it by murdering her. So now he's going to prison and you've lost because I know the first thing Lila Lee is going to do is to terminate you. So you're not going to get unemployment. You're going to be a pariah in, in the whole industry because trust and believe Lila is going to make sure that your name is mud. And the fact is, I'm glad she is because you are the worst type of person. Okay. You're not a murderer. So you're not the worst, but you know what I mean? The worst type of person. And I wish all the worst for you, not the actress, the character. Let's never get that twisted. (laughs) Okay. All right. Before I get my blood pressure any higher, I'm in this episode. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway. So yeah, Um, Liz was no angel. And not because of her past at all, okay? She did what she needed to do to make ends meet. And not just to make ends meet, she was making good money, 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 okay? She was probably making more than Lila Lee. Let's be absolutely honest, okay? So not because of that at all. I'm not judging her for that for one second. She is a terrible person because she was living two lives. Now, if you said that you want to get out of the sex work business so that you can marry Norman, you got to get rid of Roger. That's just it. Yes, you stopped working in the sex industry. You don't get applauded for that. Okay, you don't get applauded for that because you still had a relationship with Roger. So you're screwing Roger over and Norman. It makes you look like a gold digger, even though you had your own money. But why are you with Norman if you really want to be with Roger, who's poor? Be with Roger, who's poor, who was apparently okay with you being a sex worker. So why don't you just live that life? Okay? Um, But no, you wanted your cake and you wanted to eat it too. And what did that end up happening? That result, what did that result in? That resulted in you being murdered in your very, very expensive apartment. And losing everything. So, uh, Liz, I felt bad for you in the sense that you were murdered because that's terrible. But you made your bed, okay? You made your bed. Um, Glenda made sure that it had the military or hospital corners, okay? And that it had a duvet cover that was appropriate for the pillows. And Norman um, tucked you in. So, uh it's your bed. You made it. You had help making it. And now you're in it forever. Terrible. But you know what? Uh, Norman got what he deserved because he's going to prison. Liz, she didn't deserve to die, but she did need to be held accountable for cheating. But murder is never the answer. And Glenda, I'm going to assume, is terminated and will never be able to get another job again because she's a terrible person. That's how I'll sleep at night knowing that. (laughs) Anyway, so that's that on that. (laughs) Oh God, who knew when I started watching this episode, it would just go this way. Anyway, so next week we will be watching Trial by Error, okay? You will notice elements of 12 Angry Men throughout 
this episode, Trial by Error. So I am looking forward to talking about that, especially as a lawyer and how I feel about juries. And this is a perfect episode to discuss that. (laughs) That'll be fun. Anyway, so of course you can catch me on Patreon at the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. I have a lot, a lot of great shows on there, book reviews, movie reviews, my trip to New England, as well as California. And I will be putting one up about my travels to Greece soon. Soon, okay? (laughs) Anyway, uh, if not, I will see you right here Same time, same place, wherever you listen to podcasts, Sunday night at 5 p.m. for Trial by Error. Again, have an amazing week. I'll see you then. Bye.